Hello and welcome to another episode of Board Game Impact. In this one, we're going to be talking about how context is key. So stay tuned. Hello and welcome to another episode of Board Game Impact. Uh, as always, this is Bruce and I'm joined by... This is Josh. And so if you're just tuning into Board Game Impact, we both work uh, in education and apply our educational lenses to our board game experiences for the benefit of you and your gaming group. Um, so we encourage you to subscribe if that sounds like something cool for you. Um, but Josh, you're the one who came up with today's episode idea, so walk us through that. Sure. So been doing a lot of thinking about uh kind of the 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 purpose and mission of our of our podcast, right? We we mentioned at the start of every episode that we like to try and infuse our knowledge and and understanding as it relates to education and development to board gaming hobby and, and use that lens to examine the games that we're playing and those types of things. Recently, there's uh, Bruce, you put out a, a video on our YouTube channel related to this topic around um, how reviewers talk about games um, and the influence, the influences uh, that that reviewers face when when putting out content. And it really got me thinking um, within this debate around um different ways in which reviewers handle different topics as it relates to different publishing companies and the influence of, you know, the, the money into reviews and people doing it as a job and all those types of things. And it really got me to thinking about how do we review games and what are the things that impact our reviews and, mm -hmm. and impact the way that we're communicating with our listeners and so I really wanted to take a step back and talk a little bit about the contexts in which we game and how that influences the experiences that we're having at the table, right? Yeah. Yeah. When you sit down and you go to play a game, who are you playing with? Where are you playing? What game are, are you playing a game that you purchased? Are you playing a game that you've never heard of before? Um, are you playing a game that is like coming home? Like, right. I, I talk mm -hmm. about like terraforming Mars or scythe or, or wingspan. Like those are the games that like when I sit down at the table, I'm like, Oh yes, this is the gaming experience that I am looking for because this is what, what got me into the hobby and, and what really invested me in this um, experience in these experiences. And so it's like, coming back to an old friend. And so all of these different factors are going to impact the the experiences that you're having with different games. And I think that's important for us to, as people who talk about games um, and, and try to inform others about the games that we're playing, I think it's important to recognize how those contexts impact our experiences. I think that's awesome. And um, thank you for the kudos on the YouTube video. Yeah, so I did that in response to everything that's been going on around the Tellstones uh, game by Riot Games. So I encourage you to go over to the YouTube channel and check that out. Um, essentially, it's 
breaking down how do we know what we know um, by using some of the stuff I've learned through some of my PhD classes. Um, so we dip into what's called epistemology, so the knowledge, like knowledge of knowledge, um, or axiology, which is all about values um, and aesthetics. Um, and then also think, three things that you can do to overcome um, and make better reviewing decisions, like so when watching reviewers. And so, Josh, I really like your idea for this episode today for a couple of reasons. So one is there's a lot to unpack. Um, and so we're going to be doing our best effort to kind of give you a broad spectrum um, of this. So we're going to be talking about different contexts. So we'll talk about like playing games at home, playing games at like a meetup or a pub, coffee shop, online, or like at a convention. But the other thing that we want you and encourage you to reflect on is not only, okay, well, how does that impact Josh and Bruce, but how does that impact me, right? Um, and how do, how do the settings that I am in personally affect me as a, uh, as a, as a game consumer, regardless if I'm going to end up reviewing that game or not. Um, so that's what we encourage you to do is hold up the mirror and just ask like, have I recognized these own things in my own life? Um, and if so, how does that then inform the experiences that I have? Um, so I'm real excited for this, Josh. Um, I think it's important that we dig into a couple factors real fast, um, and then we'll start digging into each of those contexts. So we're just going to go with these three first factors, if that's okay with you, and then the other stuff will come up as we go. Um, yeah, absolutely. So the first thing that we need to acknowledge is us. Um, so we need to acknowledge like inner uh, interpersonal factors. So like how are you that day? Like, do you have a stomach ache? Um, do you, have you been exhausted? Have you been getting enough sleep? Um, all of these kind of things, or are you under the influence? So if, if you're at like a pub and things and you're drinking, like how, are, how are all of those factors going to come to the table? Um, another area of this is also institutional factors. That's not like, um, that means that like the structures and places we are, um, how does the lighting affect it of where we are? Um, is it really loud? Is it more intimate? Is there ambient music? Do I feel comfortable? Are the chairs comfortable? Cause if your body's uncomfortable sitting there, then you are then going to most likely have a more negative experience or positive the opposite direction. And then also like community factors. So we got the person, we got the place and now it's the people. Um, and so like, Josh, I, I pulled up this like simple comparative list of two types of cultures. Um, and so I think you can apply this to your game group. Um, so it, are you in more of an individualistic culture or more of a collectivist? So what that means is individualistic is like achievement oriented. I want to win where the other one's focused on relationships and like, are the people here having a good time where we don't really care about winning. We just care about seeing each other. <laughs> um, or you focused on autonomy and really just want games like economic games where you can just be really not having interaction or are you more, more focused on group autonomy and having like pockets of people have their own interactions? Um, are you looking to be independent or are you looking to be interdependent? Um, so it's just important to like think about those things. So are you looking... When you are gaming, um, regardless of these situations, do you find yourself more of more in a individual individualistic situation or collectivist? And that can change depending on the place. And I know that definitely does for me. Um, and then it's also just important to unpack um, one more thing, and that is our impressions. Um, and are we only going on our first impressions? Now, for the podcast, no, we're usually not going on a first impression. We've done a lot of research on whatever it is. 
besides the impressions that we've had. Um, but the impressions we have can be shaped by those three factors that we just talked about above. Um, so what, what we're going to do now, listeners, is we're going to um, go into a context, a place, um, and we're going to talk about some games and some factors that can influence the experience we have. Um, so Josh, why don't you kick us off with the first one? Sure. So the first context that I think it's important to kind of think through is playing at home, playing with a, a friend or a group of friends that you know quite well. Uh, so for me, um, a lot of my gaming right now that isn't online is playing at home, either my home or a friend's home. So I've talked a lot on the show in the past about, you know, right now, and rather than going to meetups or those types of things, I have been um, narrowing my my play group down to a handful of folks um, that we can kind of gather and play, and then obviously playing some games with my wife whenever we find the time to do that as well. Yeah, that that context is very different from the context in which I really came up in gaming, right? I really found my niche in gaming with meetups and pubs, which we'll talk about here in a minute. But now I know these people quite well. Um, You know, we're gaming once a week, um, at least every other week. Uh, It's generally a smaller group. Uh, It's generally, you know, we, we have similar tastes and similar like interests in the games that we're playing. Um, so all of these different factors are playing in there, right? You you look at those factors that Bruce kind of talked about, you know, the group that I have right now that I'm spending a lot of time playing with, we're a very individualistic group. We We want to win. We want to do well. We don't necessarily want to win every game, but, you know, for me, anyway, I'm often don't feel like I'm playing against other people. I'm playing against myself. Mm-hmm. And did I do better than I did in the last time I played this game? Yep. Or do I feel like I learned how to play this game effectively? So we don't play a lot of that. That impacts the games that we play, right? Mm-hmm. We don't play a lot of cooperative games. I There's other game groups I've been a part of that is very collectivist. And so we played a lot of cooperative games or semi-cooperative games or solitaire-esque type games, right? Where you're not really competing against each other as much as you're competing against the game. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so all of those factors are going to, like like Bruce said, these these factors are going to come into play given the context that you're you're playing gaming within yeah and for me so a couple things about playing at home is like i have access to all the things i like um right so like when i'm at my house i have like i've bought these games typically because i like them um but i also have if i want a beverage i know i have the stuff i like um right um or if i want xyz it's there. I picked out the chairs in the room. Like I've done a lot of work. I bought the gaming table that's in there. Um, I know where everything is. And so I actually feel more comfortable. Like um, my base levels of needs are taken care of. If you look at like a Maslow's hierarchy of needs, but I put, when I'm thinking about games at home and my home, Josh, I put them into three buckets. The first bucket is, um, well, technically four. Um, so the four buckets are, am I playing it by myself? So a solo game, 
Um, but I'm mm-hmm. not really going to talk about that one um, because I think it, the important part is with the other people right now. And so the three buckets are um, my wife and I um, having a game night over at the house or having a game night I've planned. Um, and so what I mean by that is playing playing with games with my wife. Um, we can just pick up a game and we'll play it. That's fun. It's great. Love it. Honestly, did my homework before we got married, made sure um, that we were both gamers. Um, it helps that we met in a children's toy store. Um, Lego Isle, if you're curious. Um, she was running the store. Um, the other two buckets, though, are very different. So game night can have one of two ways. And Josh, you and I talked about this right before we were recording. The, the game nights could be, hey, we're just having some people over. Let's just have fun. Are they gamers or are they not gamers? So being in a relationship, we just have those like couples nights where there's another couple coming over. They might bring a bottle of wine. We make dinner and we're going to play a game after dinner. Right. And I'm probably introducing them to the hobby. Um, Plus, when they see that I have a game room, they're like, I need to learn more about this. Um, so it's more light games. Um, but if I have a game group of like when you would come over, Josh, um, or Justin or others would come over, maybe four people, maybe just two of us, we'd play very different games. But we didn't really care about what game we played where there's a very different type like so justin and i played through all of memoir 44 in the last year right so we can't we came in with an intent um to do that now those games are shorter like 30 to 45 minutes per round uh per game uh but we'd also play things like twilight imperium fourth edition which like i had people do prep work on the front end of that and I would assign out the races and which things you can choose from. Here's your how to play video. And when you get over here, I already have the game set up for you because we're going to play for the next 12 hours, right? So it's a very different experience that can be going on there. And those different experiences play out differently for my own enjoyment. Um, and because I have expectations going into one, the other one's just like, let's see how it goes. So definitely frames things like very, very much um, in an important way. So, Bruce, you mentioned something there that I find really, really impactful for for my experience of playing a game, at least. And that's prep work. Um, you know, you talked about when you play TI4, which is a monster of a game, right? You're you're dedicating several hours to this one game. Uh, most likely um, you you want to have people who are invested. You want people to know what they're doing beforehand so you can sit down and start playing the game. But for me, when I think about prep work, it really comes down to, do I have to teach the game? Mm. And, and honestly, I have found more and more that I actually enjoy a game more when I have to teach it. (laughs) Um, And now I, I really like, I love sitting down at a table where everyone knows the game. But what I have found is I tend to enjoy games less when someone else is teaching it to me. Mm. And, and, and I think I know why that is. Yeah. Talk about and it. I think we probably can. And I, I hope we will at some point go in depth in a full episode on this. Oh Yeah. This is like we're going skimming the surface on all of this. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, for me, 
I learn games a certain way. And when someone else teaches me a game, they may not teach me the game in the way that I'm going to best learn. And so I may not have as much fun with that game because I'm still feel like I'm trying to figure it out as I go along. Yep. Whereas if I'm doing all the prep work, I'm, you know, whenever I try to teach a game, I sit down for a couple hours beforehand and I reread all the rules and I plan out, okay, so I'm going to teach this part first and then I'm going to teach this part and that brings me into this part, right? Mm -hmm. I kind of put that all out in my head of how I'm going to do it and it helps me learn the game better. And so when I sit down to the table and I start teaching it, then I'm like, okay, so here's where, like, here's what you need to consider. Here's what you need to think about. Here are the things that you need to do in order to play this game well. So for me, that has a huge, huge impact, regardless of where I'm at, is how did I learn or how am I learning the game? Sure. That's a, I mean, there's a couple of things going on there, Josh, just from my lenses. Um, so one is I am also the same way, um, just to put that out there of there are things that I like to do or know going into a game. And if you tell me like, here are the games we can choose from for a game night, I will research every one of those games more than likely if I have the time um, or I'll carve out the time because I also want to marinate in the information to let it click. So that way I am able to do better and focus on the point of the game night. Um, but there's a couple things going on there. One is I have this conversation with people often and that is about um, have you had a DTR, uh, define the relationship. Um, so the thing is, whoever is teaching the game is establishing the social contract of the experience, um, of what is expected, how it works. And if that is incongruent with your what you need, right? Um, so if the way they explain it isn't then the way you interact with it, then all of that goes to hell. Um, the other thing, though, is if you know a game and you are the teacher of said game and people have fun, there's positive reinforcement. So like reinforcement of I did well. And if we teach something and we feel good about it and we have that immediate like reward coming back to us, well, psychology shows that that reinforcement is going to have me say, I like this game. I want to pull this game to the table more often um, just to put that out there. Um, but I think a big part of what you were saying though is really about that social contract and like, what are we in for? And do I have all the information I need? Cause you said you tend to operate um, for these kind of things much more in the individualistic of, I want to be competitive. I don't necessarily need to win, right? I need to be competitive. But if you're, if you're ill-equipped, well, that is outside of your control, right? Um, so essentially you want to give empower your players with the information they need to be able to feel like they can do well. Um, so I'm just going to, that was just something I was reflecting on as you were talking about that. And I'm curious as to your thoughts. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I, I agree a hundred percent, right? I I'll equate this to a game that a, a game experience I had yesterday, actually. Um, so, so I was just talking to Bruce before the show about playing Takenu. And Takenu is a game that I've been wanting to play since I found out it was coming out. It's by one of my favorite game designers, Dave, uh, Daniel Tachini. 
Um, saying uh, the guy, a gentleman who designed uh, Zulkin and Teotihuacan. Uh, Takenu is a fantastic game. I I felt like I had boiled that game down and and had a really good teach planned for it. Okay. And I taught the game, and about halfway through the game, somebody realized that that they missed something in my teach. And I don't know if it was me not being clear enough or them not paying attention at the moment that I was explaining something. But right, that really like took me out of that experience. I was having a blast. And all of a sudden, somebody in my game group is not enjoying the game because they didn't understand something. And that really pulled me out of that experience Mm -hmm. and created this kind of negative feedback loop. Now, ultimately at the end of the night, the guy's like, you know, Hey, it's a learning game, right? None of us had played this before. We were all kind of going about this learning together, which I think is another huge piece Mm -hmm. to this is, how you approach a game for your first time. Agreed. Are you approaching a game? Do you approach a brand new game with the understanding that you're going to do amazing and you're going to understand everything and, and be really, really good at the game? Or are you approaching that game thinking to yourself, I'm not, I'm just going to do as well as I can. I'm going to make mistakes and I'm going to learn from those mistakes and then I'm going to come back to this game with a better understanding. Yeah. And, and that, that mindset of how you approach the initial play. Bruce, you mentioned first impressions uh-huh. um, earlier in this episode. And do you allow your first impressions to be clouded by your understanding of the game? What I mean by that is if you made mistakes not because you were bad at the game but because you misunderstood something or you didn't quite see the full picture at first does that mean that you then judge that game as bad because you didn't understand it quickly or do you say okay i see what they were trying to do there i see where i made a mistake i see how that impacted me And so now I want to come back and I want to play that and I want to fix that mistake and I want to see how, if I can really figure this puzzle out. Yeah. I think that's huge. I agree. And for me, it depends on a couple of things. And I know we're going a little bit more in in depth of the playing at home, but I think these conversations are going to transcend these other three categories. So I think it's very important that we do this. Um, I think for me, when I'm looking at the impression and like learning game, quote unquote, it depends on a couple of things. If I'm going into a game with the intent to play a certain game and I know on the front end that I'm going to be playing X, Y, or Z. So I'm going to say Twilight Imperium. Um, and so if I was coming into that cold, I would know that and would do my research. Right. Um, and so I'm coming in not to have a learning game because I have 
if I've give, been given enough notice and if you're able to know your group and be like, hey, I know you'll have a lot going on the next week, so I'm going to make sure to schedule this out. Like You just have to be intentional. Um, then I'm able to dig into that material. So that first game is not really a learning game for me, if that makes sense. It is an application of the learning I've been doing and marinating over time. Um, so that is like one way. Another way is thinking about it from the lens of who's teaching and how is it taught. Um, so yes, it can be a learning game, but if the information isn't presented, right? If, um, if I don't have all the information, then did I really learn it? And when I finished the experience, if I still didn't have all the information and there wasn't that awakening like one of the players had when you were playing and you were able to be like, oh, okay, let's go back and just talk about that. I'm glad we caught that now, even though we're into the game, right? Mm -hmm. If that doesn't get caught, then I leave sometimes that experience. Um, I try not to, but that first experience might leave me with, okay, that's really what that game is, right? Um, And it might take future plays of it to recognize that I didn't know everything that was in that game, not from a learning game perspective, but essentially it wasn't fully taught. Um, If it is truly a learning game, then I think that that needs to also be part of that social contract that I was talking about of what is our expectations of this, right? And so if it's a learning game, like I talk about this when I'm doing leadership development, trainings so like for strengths quest i'm going to pull that in my number one is strategic and i give the example of that means i typically come into situations with a through c but then back up d through z on the fly now what that means is for playing games um if i'm teaching new players games and that means i'm probably teaching them games they've never seen before but i've seen a lot of So that means that I strategically need to change the way I play to make sure that the other people, and I do this all the time, other people know what they don't yet know, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And I'm not coming in there and just like beating it down. (laughs) Um, I'm, I'm in there because I'm wanting them to learn about it. And I think that really changes things of um is it a learning game and did i just get beaten down for not knowing it well yet or was it to actually learn it Um, because if you have different experiences there of oh this is a learning game but these other people treated it like i was going to get a beat up today and that was their intent well then there's a mismatch between myself and that environment that's i think that's really really good context and I, I i have a lot more to say on this topic and, and yeah. like i said i think we 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 should revisit this topic um the the concept of how we teach and learn and oh and yes and we will play games at, at a future point but i think that 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 does have some but that has carryover a, into yeah. our next context right right right. meetup or pub because i just need to put this out there that is different than teaching the game by the way that is um the context if i am the situated person that will whoa swing my context of the experience i just had Um, oh absolutely yeah but yeah so meetups and pubs so josh you and i both went to the meetup here in town that's how we actually met outside of the university we both worked at but there's thousands of people at the university. So I was like, oh, you. Um, and it's like, you play games? I play games. Like, what is this? Okay, cool. Let's do this. Um, so yeah, meetups, pubs, cafes, 
Um, what do you got, Josh? So, you know, the thing that I was going to talk about uh, with with meetups and pubs is is where your meetup is, mm-hmm. right? You're right. Um, the So I didn't get introduced to games at the meetup in Texas, um, but it's where I really discovered a passion for games Same in here. Texas. Um, and so that was a context unlike anything I had experienced up to that point. We were in a bar. I was having drinks. I was meeting new people. I was in a noisy environment and that's just a very different context from what I was used to. And it's something that really helped me in a gaining a bunch of friends, right? Because Mm -hmm. it gave me the opportunity, like games gave me the opportunity to meet new people. You know, Bruce, you were in my bridal party because (laughs) I met you at a game night in Texas. Yep. Um, this so you're on it, like we're together on this podcast because of the meetup. Yes. Right. Like that's huge. And I like I look back on that meetup as with some of the fondest memories of my life because that was so impactful to the development that I am into the person that I am today for a variety of reasons. But that context of being in a pub and mm-hmm. and learning new games, right? I wasn't learning games at that point Mm. to win. I wasn't learning those games to even be competitive. I was using it as a way to make friends. Yep. And so the context that I was sitting in is I'm going to play whatever game hits the table. Sometimes I'm going to love the game. Sometimes I'm going to hate it, but I'm going to enjoy the time that I'm spending with these people. I'm going to have a couple drinks. I'm going to, you know, get to know folks. I'm going to learn the games that I like, right? Um one of one of my best memories is the first time I played Scythe. I believe it was your your copy maybe? Uh probably Aaron's or Aaron's Justin's. copy. Yeah. Um and and you know, sitting at the table and getting stomped by a good like 50 points behind everybody else. Yep. But like leaving that table being like that was that's what games are <laughs> like right. that's wild um and and really having that brand new experience and so yeah i think that that those experiences in those settings really really changed the way that i look at games and the way that i've moved through my life because since then i moved to new orleans Mm-hmm. I met my entire friend group at New Orleans through a meetup. I moved to Colorado. I've met my entire group of friends in Colorado through a meetup. And each one of those meetups was in a different context. Texas, it was in a pub. New Orleans, it was in a coffee shop. Huh. Colorado, it's in an actual game store. Nice. Right? And each of those contexts also impacted the way the types of people I was meeting, the way I interacted with those people and the experiences and the types of games we were playing. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, you're 100% right. Um, and I'm glad Meetup has had such a profound impact. And yeah, it's phenomenal. And we just actually started doing our online meetups to now try and relaunch, rekindle things. So we'll get into that in a minute. Um, but Josh, like, there's a big difference for when we go to meetups is there's different intents from the player. So I know you and I, you just mentioned on how like you'd get slogged, right? Um, but some people are playing very light games, right? And others are maybe playing more medium to heavier games and some games that maybe just aren't the best for that setting. So like, is there enough lighting for this component rich game, right? Um, and I remember, oh, if something fell on the floor, everyone's down with their flashlights on their phone because it's dark, right? And it's gone. It's gone into the the, the nexus of gone. Um, so it, like, you don't necessarily always bring all the games to the pub, but that's the important part is you need to bring them because for, for us, at least here in Texas, like we bring our game bags and it's the games we put in that game bag. So I know for me, I tend to diversify of like, do I have different player counts? Do I have different play styles? Do I have different mechanics? But that's me. Um, I don't know that that much thought goes into all of the other ones, um, but I know some does, but we get to play with what we bring. That's it. Um, so there is intent, but it's more individualistic usually. Absolutely. And I think, you know, there's something of note there is you talked about the game bag. I think the game bag that you build, at least if you're someone who is who is kind of leading the meetup. So so this is something that we talked a little bit about before the, the podcast, Bruce, but the meetup here in Colorado, there is actually a designated each week individual designated as the as the ambassador and the ambassador's role is to greet new people introduce them to other people in the group to get them into games and so the ambassador will spend most of their time either not playing a game and just kind of linking people up into different games or playing small games like secret hitler or coup or werewolf right like a lot of these social games that don't involve a lot of rule explanation are very easy to pick up and you just go with them and they take about 15 to 20 minutes and so by the time they're wrapping up one game if somebody else new has come in they can go and introduce themselves to those new people that's awesome and that's awesome i'm so glad i'm stealing that idea by the way well, you know, here's the thing, though. Texas, we kind of had that, at least whenever I was there, right? It wasn't an official thing. It was, yeah. But I remember meeting not the Justin that, that, that we play games with now, but I remember meeting the, the other Justin, Justin. Yeah. the original Justin. There's another Justin. There's a third Justin as well. So just, oh, to, yeah. just to put that just to make things <laughs> even more confusing. Yeah, the Discord for our game group actually had in for like the admins. It was called the Justins. Um, <laughs> so like, yeah, but OG Justin who started the meetup. Yes, go ahead. OG Justin who started the meetup. Like I walked in and I like stood in the corner and was awkward and wasn't really sure what was going on. You know, I had a few games with me, but I didn't really know what to do or or how this whole meetup thing worked. And, you know, he grabbed me, you know, 
introduced himself and was like, hey, why don't you come play this game with me? And, you know, taught me a, a new game. And then Aaron showed up and, and did very much the same thing. And so, you know, when you are established in a group like that, I think you just tend to gravitate towards bringing in new people and wanting new people to join the group and to enjoy this hobby. And so you just naturally kind of gravitate towards that ambassador style of role where you may not care as much about the game, at least not every week, but you're more interested in what everyone else at the meetup is doing and having, are they having fun and are they enjoying the games that they're playing yeah and you're absolutely right so intrinsically we do that um but in terms of practices it is up to the individuals there like we were having a conversation before this last not you and i but with some of the other leaders because i'm the organizer of the meetup here of hey we need to shift our expectations for what a game night is besides it being online we need to shift our expectations xyz so we're not going to be able to dig into some of the heavier games because we need to introduce people to the hobby and orient them on how to use discord we can't have too much change um just to put it out there like we need to walk them in and then teach them how to be capable and then they can do the things um but the problem is if it if it that solely is on one person that can be a heavy burden and so if i didn't have other people here who take that role without even bringing it up and knowing it's a role then I could be stuck in only reviewing games that are 15 minutes, Mm -hmm. right? Um, Unless I say, screw it. And I just, I like, and that's not in my nature whatsoever. Um, And it focus in on, no, I'm going to just play these other games. Um, And and so like, there is a different atmosphere there. And because for me, it's, I want people having fun. That's more that social thing. But you lead me into the next point though, that is what is, our intent when we go uh, because like if there is a game that josh you and i have to review or we're wanting to review we got to get it to the table table right and so some weeks the only week time we have is this and so if we were to come in there every time with am i there to just play a game this game or versus whatever hits the table versus just play lots of random small games um changes the whole dynamic um and you and I both know that there's some individuals that have come to meet up in the past who show up and it's like, I don't really care what everybody else wants to do. Like, this is the game we're playing, right? Mm-hmm. Who, who's with me? I need three people. Um, and that's okay, but that also, there's like a social credential that kind of happens at meetups and pubs and those kind of locations where you're, you also want to build up your social credit, <laughs> of mm-hmm. um, not being somebody who everybody has to give to, but also receives from, right? Um, so we have to recognize that sometimes we would love to play certain games, but other times, if I, if I am always the one whose game gets played, well, then what does that say for the value and the, and the people bringing the things? Um, am I all of a sudden not valuing their game? And that's not what I want to do. So I will intentionally like, this game doesn't really sound that interesting to me. I won't tell them that, but I'll be like, hey, let's see what happens. Um, and I will go into it just because what's the worst that happened? I spend time with people. like, uh, But I know that that's not everyone's lens. And that's why at the beginning of this episode, I was like, I want you to analyze the lens that you're playing games with because I think that 
shapes your entire experience. Um, and so, it, well, uh, and yeah, I want to point out uh, a piece of that context, right? Is also who else is in the group, right? Right. When I went to New Orleans, something I learned very, very quickly is there were only about three or four of us in a meetup of about 15 to 20 that actually owned games. Hmm. And so while I generally, when I go to a meetup, it is very rare that I go to a meetup to play a game. Uh, unless, you know, I talk about it with somebody the week before and I'm like, hey, you really want to play this game. I really want to play this game. Next week, let's plan it. We're going to bring it and we're going to get it to the table. We can find a couple other people to join us. Uh Or like you said, I have a a, a review that I really would need to do. And so I want to get this to the table so that I can review it. I, other than that, I go to a game and, and want to play just whatever I have. But I found in New Orleans, Oftentimes when I did that, I was sitting at a coffee table for 30, 40, 50 minutes <laughs> um, while everyone just kind of hemmed and hawed over what to play. Hmm. So sometimes it is good to have that person who is just going to say, yes, that's it. Yep. This is the game we're playing. Yep. I brought it. I want to play it. This is what I'm playing. Anyone can join me. I completely agree. And honestly, I've been thinking of making some videos of like the five dysfunctions. Like there's a very famous leadership book, five dysfunctions of a team, like five (laughs) dysfunctions of a game group um, and what you can do about it. Um, So like I'm going to be going into that. But Josh, like you brought something up of like people didn't really have games. Well, you know, here in Texas, it's like we have lots of game bags. Um, Oh, yeah. And so it was almost like analysis paralysis, not from like hemming and hawing of just like, I just don't even know where to start. Um, but there's another part too that's important to acknowledge is that the the experience level of the group. Um, and so like when you look at like social learning theory, um, are you is your game group only typically playing a certain level of games? And so is that, and if you've never experienced outside of that, and this is why in the video, I'm like, go play more games with more people in more places because then you get your new reference points. Um, if the highest level is X. Well, then when you see something that's Y, are, is there an impression that that's not going to be a good game, right? Um, mm-hmm. Because I have no reference point for seeing that game being played. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think that goes into a lot, especially when you're going to a new meetup, right? Yes. yes. The way I do a new meetup, my game bag, like, I tend to tailor my bag to the group that I'm going to play with, right? Yes, absolutely. And so when I go to a new game group, most likely I'm going to throw in like maybe a brass, but then I'm also going to throw in something like point salad, Mm -hmm. but then I'm also going to put in something that is maybe a little bit more medium weight. Uh, you know, I'm going to kind of diversify so that whenever I sit down and I look at the people around me and they, I start talking to them, okay, so what are the games that you like to play? What do you really enjoy? I can be like, okay, so you're really like medium weight euros. Let's go ahead and pull out, I don't know, whatever. Here's this 
Merlin. It's a medium weight Euro. Let's play it and see how it goes. Yep. Right. Or, you know, oh, you really like heavy Ameritrashy style games. Well, okay, here's, you know, Blood Rage. Uh, you know, Blood Rage or whatever. Yeah. yeah. Right. Is is let's let's get this out on the table and, and play this. So that I think also is is really, really helpful and impactful to the group that you're joining. Yeah, and I also know the fact like the fact that I can take out Demacher, which is a game about German voting, um, mm-hmm. and get that played, and it's we're gonna play it for like two and a half hours, three hours probably. Um, like I know I can do that, but I don't know you don't really know what you're walking into. Um, and actually just to put this out there, Josh, like I throw Catan into my game bag every couple times, uh, because we might be having somebody new come that like, that is a stretch for them. And I'm always willing to play it because I love introducing people to the hobby. Um, because I still try and find the uniqueness I still found for it. Right. Um, but meetups can be a very interesting dynamic. Um, and if that, and a lot of times, just to put this out there, sometimes that's the only reference point we might have for a given month, just to put that out there. Um, and so that's Absolutely. the games we're playing. Um, so next one, Josh, we got online. Um, online, we've talked about a lot over the last couple months. Um, I wonder why. <laughs> right. There's nothing going on in the world at the time of this recording in, in October of 2020. Um, that should be all you need to know. Um, okay. Online, I think we can crash course this one. Um, technology limitations. Um, so first of all, um, I have a Mac because I do Ooh. podcast recording. I, yeah, you're right. But also, <laughs> I write a, a ton of paper papers for my PhD. Word, doc, like, um, not Word, uh, Microsoft products kind of aren't great for that. Mac mm-hmm. is stellar um, for me doing my research and my publications and also the audiovisual stuff. Um, so that's why I have it. But that means that straight away there is a ton of games that i just can't play period Mm -hmm. and that is not fun sometimes just gonna put that out there um i wish i had more i've looked into things by the way but i'm also dealing with where i'm at situationally um so you need to consider like financial constraints um and also like are you having to keep buying different dlcs or different things um but josh i'm kind of curious what is your frame of reference with technology limitations, but then also like what's it like being on the other side where you could play whatever you want pretty much? Honestly, being able to play whatever I want is my limitation. Um, Fair. <laughs> in a weird way. Be- and and what I what I mean by that is I am not so much limited by the technology. The technology there is an overabundance of but I can't afford every game on Steam. <laughs> um, right. Right. But I have disparate friend groups who like different things. And so one friend group really wants to get Root, but one other friend group really wants to get Wingspan, but one other friend group really wants to get Race for the Galaxy. And so that's really where the limitations comes for me is like, I can only select one or two games per game group. Now over the past eight months, I've really built out my collection to the point that could pretty much play almost anything on steam, you know, 
board game arena has yes. been a massive boon to yes. the um, number of games I can play. But, you know, the the thing that becomes there is also, you know, not only the the game system that you're playing on, but also the people you're playing with. Right. Mm-hmm. I have a lot of friend groups. I don't mind. I, you know, my preference is generally to not play on tabletop uh, tabletopia or tabletop um, simulator. simulator. Just because they're not like I don't find them to be perfect they're not great no i feel like i'm playing a game with one hand tied behind my back besides the fact that it gives me vertigo and i've talked about that on the podcast before yeah but i'll do it like i have no issue like i will if if the game that we want to play is not available elsewhere i will i'll i'll play tabletopia uh, tabletopia no problem there are some players who just will not play on those systems and and that's fair and that's reasonable right but that limits the types of games that we can play yep but it also i know that if i try to force the issue that the people i'm playing with aren't going to enjoy that game right yeah i know for a fact my buddy skyler would love the game barrage i know it in my bones he would adore that game. The only way that you can play that game online, which is the only way that I can play games with Skylar, is on Tabletop Simulator. Mm. If I tried to teach him that game on Tabletop Simulator, he's not going to enjoy it because he dislikes that system. There's also an issue within Tabletop Simulator about teaching games. That's true. Um, and Tabletopia for that matter. And Tabletopia. And really any online system, teaching games in an online system is so much more difficult than teaching games in in person. It's just different. It is. But and we'll so, get into so, teaching in another episode. <laughs> uh, in another episode. But right that that wrench of you know, how do you instruct people not only to play the game but to use the system Correct. that we are playing the game in yep really creates this whole other wrench for the context in which you are playing the game and how you're enjoying it yeah 100 percent. and so uh we had like i said our first digital meetup like bringing uh, people back and like rekindling their meetup group. It was all online and we played um, three games on board game arena. Uh, and one, one thing, and I'm not going into teaching, I'm just need to know this limitation that we're talking about. Um, and that is that we had a player who was playing, we were playing seven wonders and we scrolled down. I had to scroll down the page and had I noticed earlier, we would have said something earlier. Uh, but the only action he took for the first third of the game pretty much was get rid of a card, get $3, get rid of a card, $3. So the rest of his game had no structure because he had no infrastructure. Um, and so there is an important thing with me playing games online is that is what is my knowledge of the game being played? Um, so that goes back to the intention earlier um, board game arena helps out a lot with that because it doesn't let me take actions I can't take, but I can still take really 
dumb actions um, or actions that are going to hurt me that then might skew my impact. Um, and so I think I need to play things even more on tabletop and not tabletop, well, online to really get a feeling for it um, because that feeling is different. And I need to not only learn it online, but then abstract that thought and then reconceptualize it to what do I think that'll be at the table, right? Um, and just to put that out there and, 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 we need to be explicit when we say we played a game. Are we saying we played it in this online context? Cause that could mean very different things for somebody in person. Honestly, some games that we've been playing online, Josh, I'd rather play it online. Cause I don't have to deal with all the management of the things. Right. Well, I would agree with that to a certain extent, but I also think it, it does impact the context in which you're playing significantly. Sure. Because you don't, get to learn by mistake Correct. in a lot of those systems, right? So if you're playing in tabletop simula- simulator or tabletopia, most likely your opponent isn't going to notice your mistake because there's too many things going on on the screen for them to pay attention to what you're doing. Yep. And so they're not going to call out the mistakes that you made. But in other forms, like board game arena where you cannot make a mistake it you won't can just let make poor you. choices you can just make poor choices right and so rather than my my buddy who's trying to create gold and is like there's no way for me to create gold i can't do it this won't let me do it rather than me being able to sit there and like talk him through like okay so if you take this action the next turn you'll be able to do what you want to do or oh if you take this other action, it will kind of do that, right? So it doesn't, it eliminates some of that player interaction of seeing what your opponent is doing in real time and being able to give that feedback of, oh, you're trying to do this. This is a better way to achieve that goal. Mm-hmm. Like, right. I, I, that is something that I find really helpful in games, especially when I'm learning a new game is to have someone be like, Oh, you know, Oh, you really are trying to like, this is your end goal. Here are the steps you need to take to get there. Right. right. That's the thing that I think I miss in online gaming more than anything, especially in teaching and learning new games online. Yeah. And we'll get to teaching and learning. I know we, we'll we, get to we, teaching. We know, Josh, we have to do that episode. Um, <laughs> like there is no way around it. Um, the fact that we brought it up like six times. Um, so I think we need, I think we've covered online. Um, but we, there's another topic that we absolutely need to cover. Um, because honestly, there's a ton of content that for you and I comes out of this next one. Um, mm-hmm. that, I will play more games. I will play more games you want to hear about and same with you. Um, but that experience can be very different and that is conventions. Um, yes. Yeah. Um, the, so conventions for those who aren't aware, just to put it out there, um, there are board game conventions. And if you didn't know that, look them up cause they are awesome. Uh, but they can be very different. Um, some are smaller. Um, so you can have just like a local con with a couple hundred people. Um, or you could have a still small in the grand scheme of things, board game geek con, um, either spring, which has about 
1,500 people or fall, which has like 5,000 people, and that's in Dallas. Uh, or you could go all the way up to the largest convention in the U.S., at least, to Gen Con. Um, or you can go hop across the pond and go to Essen. Um, that being said, there's different types of conventions. Um, BGG Con is typically more open play, less scheduled things, um, where Gen Con is, yes, there's an open play area, uh, but the entire experience is across the city and you will go and you'll get tickets and you'll have event after event after event at different venues across the city um, of Indianapolis. Or when you go to, if you go to Essen, there, yes, there's all the game stuff, but there's also other stuff because it's also like this festival type thing going on. Um, and so just know that like there's a lot of stimu- uh, stimuli going on and what kind of convention makes a big difference. Um, and so now we're going to dig into that. <laughs> yeah. So the first thing that I think comes to mind whenever I think about gaming at a convention versus gaming in in person or, you know, normal, whatever, however we elsewhere sure. are gaming is at least for me, part of it is why did you go to the convention, right? 100%. Um, did you go to the convention to discover new games? Did you go to the convention to purchase new games? Did you go to the convention to meet up with friends that you only get to see once or twice a year? Right. Summer all camp. of these. Yeah. All of these things are going to influence your experiences at, uh, of playing different games at the convention. Right. Right. For me, generally speaking, especially BGG, that serves a dual purpose. A. I don't get to see my Texas friends more than once or twice a year. And BGG is my time to do that. B is I want to play all the new games. Mm -hmm. And so the hotness room. Yeah. Right. Like that's, that's what I want to do is I want to meet up with some friends. I want to play some games. What that means is like, a we're seldomly playing games that we know. Right. And B, we're really going out of our way to spend as much time with this core, or at least I am, to spend as much time with this core group as I possibly can. You can throw some shade at me. It's okay. <laughs> well, <laughs> we we respect and honor your uh, commitment to the con by... I appreciate um, that. <laughs> your, by, by volunteering, Bruce. We We always appreciate it. Um, and hopefully, knock on wood, when we do get to have conventions again, um, I'll get to join you for some of that. Yeah. And so what Josh is talking to, I typically, just me being me, volunteer for a lot of these things and end up taking volunteer shifts. So my intent is, yes, I'm going there to consume content. But also, like for the for the last BGG I was at, I did at least, well, more than 16 to 20 hours of that time, I was volunteering um to help steward the convention for other people um because like i get a lot of joy out of that of like helping facilitate experiences and yes josh you'd be great and i hope that you can do that and i hope that we can have in-person conventions soon um once it's safe um but you're right you have this split intent and then it can be split even more because you might have that list of games and you've done that homework so i have a list a running list of games typically for a convention and i've done a ton of research about those but also i need to try and be adaptable of hey let's play this game 
sure, let's do that. Um, and you're balancing, okay, have I been able to get in what I want to get in versus what don't I yet know about, right? Because there's a thing called like Dunning-Kruger effect of like, I have a high conf- like confidence in what I'm doing, but probably low competence. Um, and do I know what I don't know? Um, and so I'm always trying to be aware of like, well, what's not on my list that I need to know of? Like, so for us, um, my last BGG, like there were some games. Um, so to be able to demo some games that with Martin Wallace that he had in prototype stage, wasn't going to pass that up. Right. Um, because that would be an amazing, amazing experience. And so you've got these competing interests that you don't even know about till you're there. And honestly, sometimes till the day of, um, but you also might have things like, when are we going to eat? <laughs> um, <laughs> like, do we need to schedule dinner to get off site? Um, you don't eat at cons, Bruce. You cons eat a, you. <laughs> you you pack a bag of beef jerky and trail mix and subsist <laughs> like you're in the wilderness for four days. Right, but like I typically try to have like one time where I'm going to go have dinner with people. Right, so I've got Absolutely. these obligations I'm trying to work around. And so the thing is, can I fit in this game right now? Um, but then there's another experience too, Josh, that you haven't mentioned, and that is. Conventions can typically have exhibitors. Mm. And what I can do, and this you and I had this experience, or I did this experience for you. Um, I went over to the AEG booth. We're talking a couple BGG cons ago. And I intentionally sat down. Hey, I see that War Chest is number one on the hotness. I probably need to know something about this. So I went over there and I'm like, I want to learn. And so I didn't do a full learn. Again, we'll talk about teaching games and we'll future episode but i learned the core rules of it and immediately thought i need to play this with people so we only played like two rounds um i understood the core components josh i took that out and you and i proceeded to play that just us for several hours over a couple glasses of whiskey and that isn't a memory and experience that i didn't expect to have going in but i will have forever um that is very important to me um which I'm very, very, very thankful for. Um, Absolutely. I um, I mean, I, I credit that experience for one of the reasons why we are doing this podcast, because that, that was just a f- really great friendship, like cementing building moment oh, for, 100%. For, for both of us. Yeah. But you're absolutely right. I, that was something I was getting ready to bring up as a matter <laughs> of fact, as right. You go into a con with a list. I go into a con with a list. Justin and Aaron and Lucia and Kyle all come into the con with a list. Uh-huh. And those lists aren't a one for one match. No. <laughs> so, right, you're not just you know going to play the games that you want to play. You're going to play the games that your friends want to play as well, or you're going to go to a con without a bunch of friends and you're just going to find player wanted or teacher wanted signs and you're going to walk by and be like, Hey, I want to learn this game or Hey, I know this game. I'll teach it. Right. Mm -hmm. You're going to just have those experiences and, and that's really going to impact it a lot as well. Right. Right. Am I learning a game from Martin Wallace that (laughs) he designed or am I learning a game from someone who thought they knew how to play it, but didn't really know what they were doing or, are me and my friends sitting down and slogging through this rule book and then trying to learn it together. Mm -hmm. So there's a couple things to bring up here. So first of all is selective retention. 
and that we remember those items that are most in agreement with our predispositions. Um, that's uh, Jones and Cartier and Copeland. Um, and what that's talking about is looking at um, essentially our experiences. Well, you and I, I have a predisposition and you and I've talked about this before of you and I both have a predisposition for enjoying abstract games, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and two player games at that because of the intimacy of like, it's just us having this one experience together, right? Um, so if something falls into that and I see that with someone else, I'm probably going to associate this game at a higher level. Um, but the other thing though is also our comparative uh, rarity. So whenever we are able to engage in behaviors that are rare to us, they stand out more pronounced good or bad. Um, so what this means is if we're game, if you and I are gaming, Josh, um, and I don't get to see you that often, you're all of a sudden rare. Da 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 da. Um, when the I get rarest, right. Um, when I get to game with you, that is going to skew the way or could, if I wasn't intentional about it, the way I look at that game and therefore I might be more inclined to want to buy it and acquire it and bring it back. And then, and I hate to say it, but this has happened. I get games at conventions with people from, because I played with people who have different things and it was all new and rare, but I enjoyed it. I had good reinforcement and I bring it home and it's not a game that resonates with my game group or it's not a game that I can play with my wife. Right. And the only time I get to play some of these games is at a convention when I find those summer camp people again. And so I need to balance. Okay. Is my lens coming at this from this will stand out here or this will stand out across some different things. So, Bruce, I'm going to put a game out there and yeah. you tell me if this isn't the epitome of a convention game. Cat Lady. <laughs> do you remember I Cat do. Lady? I do remember Cat Lady. Because I promise you, 90% of our listeners do not. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because Cat Lady was the hotness of a BGG con. And I picked it up and I played it once and realized that. I don't really like it. Yeah. <laughs> um, I I loved it at the convention. It was fantastic. And then I got it home and I was like, this is a mediocre game. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not really sure why I loved it as much as I did in the setting that I was in. It's, but you know, if I went back to BGG con, I'd probably bring it. Yeah. Um, and I would probably enjoy it. There's just something about that atmosphere that makes that a really good game. Sure. Um, I think that, I mean, people talked about that, honestly, with The Mind, right? Um, mm. It, it went, got super popular at con- in convention season. Um, and then when people were taking it home, it's like, it's not hitting the same strokes. Is it like, what's going on? Um, but that was because if you think of a convention and the mind, it's short, it's quick. We can kind of learn to like read some other people, but you're getting a lot more different people at a convention. Um, so it kind of ups the stakes of the game where if you're playing the mind, which has like a, uh, almost like a social interaction element where you can't speak, but it's like reading the person to understand when you should play a card. If you're playing that with the same people, that experience is going to be very, very, very different. Um, But because it was with different people and you're able to interact and it was quick, 
you could g- carry it around with you, play a quick game with three random people, and then keep going to the next group of people. Um, I think that happens all the time. And we need to be very cognizant of how that influences things. Absolutely. And one last thing I want to point out here, because you bring this up and my, the mind is a perfect example of this is the people you play with matter. Yes. And like, that is, I think for me, at least one of the biggest takeaways from this whole conversation is no matter what situation you're in, the people you play with are going to influence your experience of the game, whether it's the person who taught you the game, whether it's the you're playing a game with your partner and someone who you know quite well and you understand their likes and dislikes, or you're playing with new people. All of these different types of interactions that you're having at the table are going to shade your viewpoint of the game that you're playing. Yeah. And I think it's very important to remember that first of all, outside of gaming, people are important. Just going to put that out there. Um, (laughs) But you were more than just a player in that game. Um, And we will always bring all of the other baggage with us. Which also means for a convention, just need to bring this up, that when it's day three and I've gamed or volunteered from eight in the morning to 11 o'clock for the last two days and it's now eight o'clock at night, right? I'm probably going to be a little fatigued. And so that will come to play And so giving people grace in that and recognizing the situation and the people involved, um, that's why it's when you're playing with your game group, like get to know them because um, the negative interaction that you have and the the negative reinforcement of a game might not be because of the game (laughs) or, or their attention might not be because of that game, like it wasn't taught well or things like that, but they just might have some ish going on. Um, And that's okay. Um, but looking out for the people you're playing with and going there in there with the intent of let's try and make the most of this. That's why also part of it, we end every episode with make your positive impact on the world. Like it's about going out there being intentional, but doing things from a positive lens. Um, but Josh, I couldn't agree with you more that the people matter. Um, and, and we've talked a little bit about that also this summer outside of just gaming. Um, but the people in all these situations matter. You're absolutely right. Um, and so treat them like people and treat them with respect, just like you would want. Um, if not more than actually just put that out there. Um, but yeah, Josh, do you have any kind of closing thoughts? No, I, I I think you, you did a really great job there summing everything up, Bruce. Um, the one thought I will add to that is at 2 AM on a Saturday at a convention, there's only one game to play. And that's jungle speed. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Um, (laughs) Fantastic, fantastic 2 a.m. Saturday convention game. Uh, I would say, what was that lizard game? Lizard game. The gecko. Go, gecko, go. Oh, go, gecko, go. Yes. (sighs) It's so Uh, like, as time goes on, the game, gamer level went down. That is absolutely 100% a thing. Um, absolutely yeah so josh you got any closing statements 
you know, we've talked about a lot here, and I think we've just barely scratched the surface on this topic. It's something that I, I like I said, I think we could we could have spent an entire episode on each of these different pieces or, or topics of conversation or these different contexts. And I think the the thing that I would like for listeners to really take away from this is, and Bruce, you you said it well at the beginning of this is we do this to to try and help people understand their experiences from from a, an educational lens or, or just to from a personal lens right and so i i would encourage listeners to kind of pay attention to these things that you see within yourself um you know one of i mentioned it um and i'll kind of hit on this as my closing thought don't always let your first impression of a game um, be your final impression. Uh, it's something that I've learned over time um, and, and was just re-emphasized in my brain having replayed Smartphone Inc. for the second time recently. I didn't like that game when I first played it. I, I didn't enjoy it. And the second time I played it, I've, I've really got a very different experience and a different perspective because of the context in which I was playing it. And it made me realize why I enjoy that game more. It's also made me think that maybe I should give food, uh, food chain magnet, magnet, a a second chance. Yes. Uh, That's my major takeaway. No, I'm just kidding. Um, Josh, you're (laughs) absolutely right. Um, and that's one thing we didn't talk about, which we could also dedicate a whole episode on. And that is our evolution in gaming. Right. Um, and um, how we our gamer preferences change over time and our perspectives on all these things based on the new experiences and so much more that we have. Um, so we hope that this has been helpful for you. Um, if you like this kind of content, I know this is very different. Me pulling us pulling in more like psychological things and more educational theory and different things like that. And especially the YouTube video. If you like this, let us know. Um, really, really, really want to hear from you. Um, so please shoot us an email boardgameimpact at gmail.com. Um, and we, we might do more of this We're, I think Josh and I both got a kick out of doing this episode. Um, I'm just going to speak for you, Josh. Um, but I'll allow it. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So it, you're affirmed. Okay, cool. Um, but yeah, this was cool. Um, and it was actually really fulfilling for our buckets too. So let us know what you think about this. Um, but also you can shoot us a message over on the Facebook page or on the Instagram. Both are board game impact. Um, but with that, I think it's important to just wrap up and just say, Hey, um, until we meet again, um, in two weeks, go make your positive impact on the world. Have a good one. Y'all. <laughs>